Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. Hawdu billahi min shaitan rajim bismillahir rahmanir rahim. Assalamu alaikum brothers and sisters. I'd like to welcome you to another Friday circle. Jazakallah khair for attending. Alhamdulillah, today we'll have Dr. Abdul Wahid who's going to be talking about the problem is secularism and Islam is the answer. Uh, as we're aware, um, President Macron recently uh, in a speech um, was very derogatory about uh, Islam and Islamic values um, and uh, heightened the position of secularism beyond uh, what it should be. And um, he very conveniently forgets to tell us about the atrocities that uh, have been you know, done throughout the world in the name of secularism. Uh, as an example, France directly in Algeria and in Mali. Um, and they continue to commit these atrocities around the world. And as we saw recently, the insulting of the Prophet uh, through this uh, issue of the cartoons. Um, and there seems to be no accountability um, in a situation where they continue to insult the Prophet and Islam. And inshallah, hopefully, Dr. Abdullah can give us some uh, guide in terms of how we should view the situation and how we need to deal with the situation. So, without further ado, inshallah, I'll pass you over to Dr. Abdullah. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh, brothers and sisters. A'udhu billahi min ash-shaytan rajim Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim. Alhamdulillah. As-salatu wa salam ala Rasulillah. Wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. Rabbi shrah li sadri wa yassir li amri. Wahlul uqtadam min lisani yafqaw qawli. I want to start by just giving you some background as to what's been happening in France over the last few weeks. And then I'm going to address the aspects of Macron's speech where he was defending secularism and attacking Islam and show why the problem is in fact with secularism and how Islam offers an alternative to humanity very much needed at this time. About three weeks ago on the 3rd of October, uh, the French president decided to make a speech. It was a very high profile speech carried not just in France, but across the Western media as well, uh, in which the main headline point that we heard was saying, Islam is in a crisis around the world. But it's quite a long speech. You can read an English translation of it on the Spectator website. Uh, and the article I wrote, which was published about it, there was a link to that article. but. In essence, the article is talking about the fact that in French society, there are divisions and Macron is blaming those divisions on what he calls Islamist separatism. And he argues that because of this Islamist secularism, the French Republic has to get more muscular with uh, the expressions of Islam which he claims threaten the unity and cohesion of the French Republic. 
And uh, in that speech, Macron says, and I will read briefly what he says, the problem is not secularism. Secularism in the French Republic is the freedom to believe or not to believe, the possibility of exercising one's worship from the moment public order is ensured. Secularism is the neutrality of the state and in no case the erasure of religions in society in, the public, in public space. Secularism is the glue of a united France. If spirituality is everyone's domain, secularism is everyone's business. And therefore sincere Republicans must never give in to those who in the name of the principle of secularism try to arouse divisions, confrontations from multiple subjects, which very often are the essence of our discussions, but not the main one. What he's saying is that France is a country that believes in secularism, secularism which is supposed to allow free expression and a plurality of views is fine, as long as you agree with those secular views. Once there's a block in your society that isn't convinced of them, once there's a group of people in your society that is questioning them, uh, you can actually start to curtail the activity of those people, the free speech of those people, the expressions of worship of those people, because you want to defend that which you couldn't convince them of intellectually. And later in the speech, Macron goes and lays out a series of steps which uh, France should undertake to curtail these trends in the society. Uh, and he laid out basically five points, uh, which includes laws that are allowed to dissolve associations uh, and assume that by the virtue of our Republican principles, we can dissolve associations of which it is established that they carry messages that violate our laws and principles. Meaning this whole idea in Western society of freedom of association is negated by uh, their current policies if, okay, they say they violate your laws. Well, that's always been the case. But even to violate their principles, they're allowed to clamp down on those associations. Uh, and a series of measures that enforce public order and uh, and secularism in society uh, and respond to anyone that is contrary to those principles in schools, in the public spaces, and to reinforce all those Republican principles that, that he claims to believe in. He's going to get tough, basically. He's going to play hardball with the Muslims, is what he's saying. And in fact, that's what happened. Initially, after this speech, we started hearing stories here of Masajid being shut down, charities being closed, even charity aid workers, Muslim charity aid workers being arrested in France, out of the blue. Okay, some of them were let free, but actually it was a big clampdown. Now, there is a question as to why Macron would do this speech. Uh, and I'll come to that in a minute, uh, but we have to really address next what happened over the subsequent couple of weeks, because about a week ago, two weeks after Macron made his speech, basically, uh, a very high profile event happened. Uh, so a teacher in a school in Paris, who was teach called Samuel Paty, was teaching one of their lessons in what they call civics on freedom of expression. 
And he raised these issue of the disgusting Charlie Hebdo cartoons, which insult Rasulullah And in that class, there were Muslims as well. And he told those Muslims they can leave the classroom if they want to. Uh, and most of them did. Uh, but I think one remained in the classroom. And he showed these disgusting images to the class. And word got out, word got out to the parents, word got out to the community. And in the end, uh, an 18-year-old uh, um, person in France uh, went and killed this teacher. And France, and what was going on in the preceding few weeks of the anti-Islam rhetoric and the debate about Islam and free speech and values just uh, multiplied a thousand times over in France. Um, they've had two sisters stabbed near the Eiffel Tower. We've had heard of dawn raids on Muslims who are labeled Islamists. Just not, not, there's no, there's no uh, like uh, suggestion that these people were about to do anything violent or anything. It's just literally they're labeled as Islamists. So against this background, there are dawn raids arresting them. Um, and uh, even I read today that in two French cities, these disgusting people, they projected those same images onto the faces of public buildings, those cartoons that were in public buildings as a kind of act of solidarity with this guy who's been killed. That's the reality of France in the last few weeks. So like I say, why? Why now? I mean, some people might think, you know, because the events of the last week have taken over, some people might think that the why now is in response to this killing. Well, it's not because Macron's speech was three weeks before. Why in the middle of like a global pandemic, which frankly France is doing very bad out of, would suddenly Macron decide to make a speech which is talking about Islamist separatism? I mean, it's just not even on the agenda at that point in France for him to make a speech which rocks the boat in such an aggressive way. Well, I think there are two reasons. The first is a particular local climate which is going on in France. And that is that in the last few weeks, some of France's most senior politicians have been threatened to being taken to court for their mishandling of the COVID crisis. Uh, and that's a, that's a massive failure of public confidence in the government in France. Uh, and if you want to understand how bad that is, you need to look back to 2017 when there was the election that Macron won. Because in that election, it was felt that Marine Le Pen of the far-right National Front the most openly racist party in France, which is full of racist people and politicians, frankly. Uh, but a party that's very anti-European, so a party that if it were to win, it would take France in a very different direction to where it is today. A party which is like Donald Trump winning in America or uh, Boris to some extent on the Brexiteers winning here. It's an anti-establishment vote. It's a vote that basically rejects uh, the, the fact that the status quo politicians have actually delivered for the ordinary people of the country. So going back to that 2017, Macron ended up being the politician that was pushed forward 
because none of the mainstream parties would have been felt to win enough support to keep out Le Pen. So he ended up being the compromise that the establishment France from left and right and centre could rally around. So if three years later, those politicians are not being trusted, it's a big crisis for France. So when Macron says secularism is not the problem, actually it is. Actually, the secular liberal democratic order is seriously under threat in France in its political system. So it seems to me the timing of this attack on Islam is a timing that is there to kind of show this guy is tough and to change the attention onto the politicians that are mishandling the COVID, COVID crisis. And also to some extent to try and steal the kind of sentiment that would go towards Marine Le Pen's National Front by making kind of this anti-Islam xenophobic rhetoric that they're used to. So that's one reason I believe that Macron decided to raise this issue. The other is actually what we've seen in Britain with the rise of muscular liberalism, what we've seen in the United States with their rhetoric during the war on terror, and across the world, which is that secular capitalist states actually are failing in the way, showing the system is failing in actually solving the affairs of humanity. It's a disaster. We've seen global economic crises which are labeled disaster capitalism. We see that this secular nation state system is so evil that the evil of racism that exists throughout Europe and Britain and America in an institutionalized way is such that black people can get shot by the police with impunity and the, uh, the, this Black Lives Matter campaign is there where people are trying to just say this is outrageous and trying to act on it. It's a system where when people talk about the environmental disaster on the planet, yeah, it's a, it's a disaster which has been fueled by this capitalist system. The divide between rich and poor across the world is getting worse and within each country is getting worse. I mean, it's, we see that you know, the, the problems in it, it today we're hearing about in schools where school kids are hungry and when the schools uh, closed for their half-term holidays, those kids who are getting free school meals won't get meals. Those kind of problems in Britain are replicated in the United States or in uh, France and in other places. So frankly speaking, the problem is secularism. And even on the issue which Macron is addressing in this speech, where he speaks such a load of rubbish saying that uh, secularism in the French Republic is the freedom to believe or not to believe. No, if you don't believe in secularism, you're not free to express that view is what he's saying. Secularism is the neutrality of the state. No, when the state is clamping down on people who don't agree with those secular principles, who haven't been convinced about them, then this is just a lie. Secularism is the glue of the united France. No, secularism is the thing that is creating a divided France, Emmanuel Macron. You know that, and that's why you even felt that you had to address secularism and say, 
it's not the problem. That to me is the proof that it is the problem, that you even had to say that, and that you had to start talking about the Islamic world being in crisis, when it's the secular colonial regimes like France and Britain that divided up the Islamic world in Sykes-Picot and created the next century of chaos and division in the Muslim world that we see spreading blowback across the world. Is the secularism that, not, that is not the problem, the free speech that insults people and creates hatred in society? Is it secularism that's not the problem where you curtail the free speech of Muslims on one side, hypocritically, and on the other side, you would protect your own flag and you would, uh, you would protect uh, insults against the French Republic or, or even criticisms or even disagreements with those values. And yet you allow insults to Islam and the messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. Is that the secularism that isn't the problem? Is it the fact that the liberal democratic order in France or in America or in Britain is, is not even trusted? The EU is not even trusted? that you fear that you'll lose a vote in 2022-23 to Marine Le Pen, who will then take France out of Europe, that your beautiful liberal secular democratic project will just break apart? Is the, is the secularism that's not a problem, the secularism that's causing divided families? France was born out of secularism. The French Republic was born out of secularism. A, secular, a republic was born out of a revolution that was known as la terror, the terror, the terror. That's what it was called. The Republic was born out of terror. Why was it called terror? Because the secular French Republic invented an invention which was just for beheading people. And 17,000 people estimated the guillotine beheaded at the birth of the French secular republic. And that bloody republic ended up killing 15 million people in Algeria over its period of occupation and its desire for independence from France. That secular republic that you're so proud of and its principles ending up impoverishing countries like Haiti and dividing up what I said, the Muslim world, like I said before. France is, as I say, just one example of this failed secular system. Look in the UK, we can see it, we're living it. Look at the USA, all these countries. I mean, the, the death rate in France from COVID-19 is 33,000 people in one of the richest, most successful, supposedly advanced countries in the world. In Britain, about 45,000. In the United States, about 220,000. The, these are things that prove that the secular politics does not look after the affairs of people. And more and more people can see through that. Brothers and sisters, we aren't the only ones that see that. And you know, in France, there's going to be masses of noise at the moment about Islam and Muslims and killing and all this free speech and stuff. And in a few weeks time, it will dumb down. And then the French people will go back like the British people, like the American people and wonder what the hell is going on with their governments, not actually looking after them. 
Islam has a very different politics. It offers humanity an alternative. Politics is sacred. It's part of your deen. It's not just a power game. Rasulullah said in one hadith, كانت بنو إسرائيل تصوصهم الأنبياء that Banu Israel, their politics used to be looked after by the Anbiya, by the Prophets. So when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave that role to the Prophets, and then the Khulafa, the successor of the last Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, this, this gives some meaning and weight to politics, which is different to the secular politics, which is just a power game. Look at Trump versus Biden. Boris versus Keir Starmer. Boris versus his own party, frankly. Macron versus Le Pen in a few years' time. It's just a power game. They don't really offer anything substantially different in terms of looking after the affairs of the people. Whereas in Islam, Rasulullah وسلم, he said, that every one of you is a guardian and you'll be asked about your responsibility. And the Imam over the people, the Khalifa of the Muslims, the Amir al-Mu'mineen is a guardian and he'll be asked about what was in his responsibility, asked by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So it's a sacred duty which will be accountable to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and is a heavy burden because of that. And the politics of Islam that looks after the affairs of the ummah primarily is to apply Islam within the Sharia of Islam, within the Islamic State on behalf of the, of the people. But in addition to that, the politics of Islam is about carrying this mission of Islam to humanity and enjoining ma'roof and forbidding munkar and inviting humanity to Islam. And so the Khalifa as the head of state and the government of the Islamic state needs to be on the world stage forming Islam's global order as a challenge to the dominance of secular capitalism, which is exploiting and dividing the world. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, when he says, Kuntum khayra ummatin ukhrijat linnas, ta'amuruna bil ma'roof wa tanhawna alin munkar wa tu'minuna billah. He says, you're the best ummah sent to mankind. Why you enjoy ma'roof and forbid munkar and you believe in Allah. But as an ummah, you know, 1.5 billion people aren't just going to enjoy their ma'roofs and munkars where they feel like it ad hoc. As an ummah, you're under one amir, one leader. So, that needs to be presented on the world stage. That needs to be, you, this world suffering this pandemic is frankly lacking in leadership of how to solve it. No country is cooperating with another. Islamic politics is one where the Khalifa, the ruler, is not above the law. Rather, it's subject to the law. Why? Because the law is from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. إِنَّ الْحُكْمُ إِلَّا لِلَّهِ in the, the hukum is for Allah, the ruling, the judgment is for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala alone. The Khalifa, he is the Muslim who we appoint on our behalf to rule. And he's in a contract with us, which 
he needs to rule by Islam and he needs to rule with justice. And if he starts to violate that terms of that contract, he can be removed by the Mahkamat Madhalim, the court of the unjust acts. That's politics in Islam. It's completely different to an outlook to the secular politics that we see today. And imagine in this world where nobody trusts their politicians in the, in the world under the secular systems, no matter where they are almost, or maybe New Zealand, <laughs> um, but virtually anywhere else, where do people trust their politicians? And, and you then have, if their khilafah is established in the world, so Islam's political system is realized, you have a very different example of how politicians should behave. That becomes a terrifying challenge to the likes of Macron. This guy, these guys, they're, they're the French state, they don't, I don't believe they really care about their citizens being uh, like, you know, really what happens to individual citizens. But if they have to face a loss of their interests in the world and their control in the world, and they face a rival challenge of a different way of doing things, they will feel that really shaking them to the core. Because what people sense now as a problem and want an alternative for doesn't exist in reality. And when it exists in reality, then the people will start to look at something different, inshallah. Even the concept of citizenship, which this joke of a speech which Macron addresses, is refuted by so many realities in France. Charlie Hebdo, which you and I hate because of what they did in terms of their insult to the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu this magazine openly ridicules in racist cartoons French politicians in a way that is just, it's, it's repugnant when you see it, to be honest with you. And, you know, it, it shows that this value of free speech and the nation state, what it does in combination with each other in terms of divisions in society. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, by contrast, he says, Ya ayyuhan nas, O mankind, inna khalaqnaakum min dhakarin wa untha, wa ja'alnaakum shu'uban wa qaba'ila lita'arafu, inna akramakum inda Allahi atqaqum, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that he created mankind. He's telling whole of mankind. He created us from a single pair of male or female. And he divided us into nations and tribes so that we know one another. And the most honored of us is not who's black, who's white, who's red, who's yellow, who's brown. No, it's the one who has the most taqwa. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala set a different order. And so... Citizenship in Islam doesn't look at minorities, majorities, race, ethnic profiling, all this stuff. It doesn't even actually look at religious profiling. Actually, Rasulullah in when he invited people to Islam to actually become Muslim, if they didn't, then if they paid the jizya and, and for, became part of the Islamic state in his time and in the time of the Khulafa Rashidun. And he وسلم, said, if, you know, if they do that, then they will have all the privileges and obligations of the Muhajireen. So new people that aligned to the Islamic state were immediately citizens who had the same privileges, same food, clothing, shelter, same 
share of the public assets of fire, water, and green pastures, same uh, access to justice in the courts, same fair treatment, and actually they would have the obligation. So where there were obligations to be performed, although non-Muslims were exempted from obligations like uh, uh, military service, paying zakat, of course, because these are, these are acts which are considered worships, but they would have to basically obey the law. And they, obviously, non-Muslims have to pay jizya, which is a very small head tax on people who can afford it. But the laws of the land, which are based on Islam in terms of dress and conduct and 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 and, and behavior in society, they obey the law. They're not they're not forced to believe the law is the best thing in the world, which we believe because it's from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They just have to obey the law. Okay. So effectively Islam had a very different vision of citizenship. And by contrast with what you see in France, where now the French state is going after its Muslim citizens. And in a way, and the language that frankly reminds me of what the Chinese are doing, because the Chinese fear the the fact that the Muslims in East Turkestan have held on to their Islamic identity and not embraced communism by conviction, and so are being forced into indoctrination camps and and and, and education camps and stuff to change their uh, beliefs. Well, it, it to me, what Macron is describing is just a different approach towards the same end, frankly. And it's fundamentally what it's doing is it's treating people with two systems of justice, one justice for the Muslims and one justice for everyone else. And by contrast, look at the example of Islam. In the time of the Khilafah of Sayyidina Umar ibn al-Khattab radiallahu anhu, he had a very great wali in the city of Homs, Umayr ibn Sa'd. May Allah be pleased with him. And Umayr ibn Sa'd, he, he made one statement, which is a beautiful statement. And he said, Islam will remain formidable as long as the authority is strong. Right? Macron says the Islamic world is in crisis. We have no authority there. Well, how does the authority of Islam come about? Umayr ibn Sa'd radiallahu an, he said, and the strength of the authority does not come with the killing of the sword or the lashing by the whip. It doesn't come by bullying people, dawn raids, arresting them, closing their places of worship, closing their charities, rhetoric and propaganda against them. It doesn't come by that. It comes, Umayr ibn Sa'd said, by judging with the troop and the upholding of justice. When you believe the law comes from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you judge with that impartially from the head of state downwards, not selectively on some members of your population. And we know so many stories from the time of the Khulafa Rashidun, where the uh, even the uh, greatest of Muslims in history could be accounted and could be held to account under the law uh, by their uh, by the citizens, some of whom weren't even Muslim. Macron proclaims free speech in France, but let's look at what free speech brings. It brings hatred between communities. If you have a society where everyone feels free to insult each other, you aren't going to have a society where people get on. It's, you know, it's all very well saying that, oh, everyone has the right 
to free speech and nobody has the right not to be insulted, well, get real, get real. People get insulted. If you insult them or their families or their race or the things they most hold most sacred and dear from their deen, you'll have a society of division where people hate each other. And we know that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he tells us in a lesson in the Quran, you know, you don't insult their gods less than they may in turn insult Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So we don't believe in free speech. We believe in Islamic speech. I don't believe I am entitled to wantonly insult people's sanctities. I believe I can critique them. I believe I can, I can refute them. I believe I can enjoin ma'ruf and forbid munkar. Rather, I must enjoin ma'ruf and forbid munkar. But wanton insults and degradation and humiliation of people by your speech is something that, what does that breed? In Western societies, when you start to insult Allah and his messengers, and you feel comfortable about that, don't be surprised when children insult their parents. Don't be surprised when students in classrooms insult their teachers. Don't be surprised with any of that, because frankly speaking, that comes from your free speech. We know in Western society, one reason they sanctify this so much is because in a previous era, when Europe was dominated by the Catholic Church, people even to question the doctrine of the church would find themselves being tortured and executed. So when after that struggle in which the secular rule won, the issue of free speech became sanctified. But free speech is not just about critiquing thought. It's not just about accounting governments in your broadsheet newspapers and investigative journalism. It also comes with the tabloid journalism filth. It comes from gossip and backbiting. It comes with all of that, which just makes a whole bunch of money, frankly, for people. Actually, in Islam, Islamic speech, it's different. We, we believe that part of our politics is that individuals, scholars and ulema, and independent media, political parties, the Majlis al-Ummah, the elected assembly of the people, must enjoin Maruf and Fibin Munkar to account people. And in terms of intellectual inquiry, actually Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he, uh, and the, the Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, his messenger did not, in fact, rather uh, affirm this in the Quran, ordering us to inquire and ask questions about the reality of this world. And Rasulullah took many questions from people about details of the deen and questions about the deen. And this does not, and even in the time of the Khilafah, over many centuries, the idea of Muslim scholars debating with each other, questioning, asking, refuting each other, even debating with non-Muslims intellectually in written form and spoken form is well known. So Islamic speech doesn't rely on having the speech which is free to insult people and bully people and abuse people and humiliate people and demean people in your society, whether it's men and women in the tabloid papers, whether it's Muslims, whether it's black people. No, it doesn't allow that. Islamic speech, however, does allow inquiry, does allow questioning and does oblige accounting of its rulers. I want to just address this most offensive thing that we see in the last few weeks, which is the insults of Rasulullah again. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, Allah 
يا ايها ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما ان الذين يؤذون الله ورسوله لعنهم الله في الدنيا والاخره وعد لهم عذابا عذابا مهينا الله سبحانه وتعالى he says in surah al-ahzab one ayah coming after the other ayat number 56 and 57 that indeed Allah and his angels shower blessings on Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. So you believers, you must make salawat on salam on the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Allahumma salli wa sallim wa barik ala nabina Muhammad. And this speech is rewardable speech for us. It elevates us. It brings us reward. It brings us comfort to our hearts. But Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says, those who insult Allah and his messenger, they will be cursed by Allah in this world and in the next. And Allah has prepared for them a humiliating torment. It shows the weight of this speech. And the weight of this speech shapes a society, a society and a world that allows this kind of insult of the most sacred is a society and a world that is leading its people to humiliation in this world and in the next. And Islam, always in Islam, you'll find these two things, hand in hand. The values that it gives to you and me as individuals of how we should behave, how we should speak, how we should believe, how we should love and revere and respect Allah and His Messenger. But it gives a method by which to protect that and laws by which to protect that. And in the context of what we're seeing today, where we see not one Muslim ruler in the world taking effective action to stop this behavior from France. We see actually the absence of the Islamic rule in the form of the Khilafah, which would enjoin its values in the Islamic global order on this issue. So what should we be doing? You and I, brothers and sisters, should be working for Islam. These values that we're talking about. And that means showing people the crooked line of the secular values, whether it's about politics, whether it's about justice, whether it's about your citizens, whether it's about speech, whether it's about economy and wealth, whether it's about how people behave on the global stage, whether it's about how you respond to a pandemic. We should be working for those Islamic values. But you work for Islam means you have to work for Khilafah because none of these things can be effectively implemented by us as individuals. Not even if 1.5 billion people did these things on their own. Why? Because you will do things in a different direction to each other with different priorities and different ways. And this, these things require from the Sharia for the ruler to be in authority and actually implement. So you work for Islam and you work for Khilafah. And why not just for you and me and ourselves? Primarily, yes, for our dunya and our akhirah, because it's obligation for us to live by Islam. And this is the primary duty. But when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala called this the best ummah, why? Because you enjoy ma'roof and forbid munkar and you believe in Allah. Why? Because you are the ummatun wasatan. You are the ummah, which is the middle ummah, the just ummah. 
This is a witness over mankind because you and I should be working for Islam. So we work for Khilafah so that humanity can be liberated from the system which is actually oppressing people across the world, not just in what you call the third world or the developing world or the Muslim world. You can see under your noses that everybody who lives under the system, bar the few who benefit massively from it, actually are in crisis, whether in their daily lives, whether in their economic lives, whether in their mental health, their spirituality, they are suffering. So work for Islam, work for Khilafah, liberate humanity, offer people, offer this world an alternative to this system, which is clearly a problem. The problem is secularism, and Islam is the answer, brothers and sisters. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Alhamdulillahi wa rabbil alameen. Jazakallah khair, Dr. Abdul Wahid. Uh, inshallah, I'll open up the floor to any questions or comments you may have. Uh, just as a reminder, brothers and sisters, if you'd like to write your comments or questions in the chat section, inshallah, and then we'll ask Dr. Abdul Wahid. Um, first of all, uh, Brother Muhammad has a question for you, Dr. Abdul Wahid. Uh, what do you say to people who say they are only against violence and violent Islam? They are generally very tolerant towards religion. Sorry, I think you've uh, muted yourself. Dr. Adwaid, if you can just unmute yourself there. Yeah, sorry. Sorry about that. Yeah. So, I mean, I think ordinary people will, like, that you meet will really have uh, fallen for the propaganda that Islam is the cause of violence. All right? Um, Actually, when you look at the reality of the world, uh, it isn't Islam that killed 15 million people in Algeria. It isn't Islam that killed 17,000 people by beheading in the French Revolution. Uh, it, it, actually, the, the, and, and many, many, many more bloody crimes beyond this, yeah? Um, what people dislike is yes, violence and chaos, but that violence and chaos is born out of about a century of division and disorganization and oppressive rulers and corruption across the Muslim world, which was created in the aftermath of World War One, right? And coupled with that, if we're honest, and coupled with that, uh, it was a failure of the Muslims to actually uphold the deen of Islam as they should do. Over a, over a couple of centuries of decline going on and on uh, in the later part of the Uthmani Khilafah. So th th this, is the, the re this is what people hate, which is the excesses that occur in the world, which is a secular world, which is a capitalist world. Um, in terms of uh, what the governments hate, is actually any manifestation of Islam that conflicts with secular liberal principles, with the nation state, with democratic governments, with the liberal democracy, I should say, with the capitalist economic order. Any manifestation of Islam that conflicts with these things, the Western establishment, the, the secular establishment hates. Why? Because it challenges things. So there is a difference, Brother Muhammad, between what the ordinary person dislikes, which is acts of violence, 
Um, and in that, it's just worth taking a spotlight back and showing people that actually Islam is not the issue of violence. You know, when they've looked at studies of terror attacks across Europe, the majority are always far right and nationalistic and separatist terror attacks. And the minority are the so-called Islamist ones. And yet the publicity gets more on that. Uh, when you look at the actions of states, the reality is that the, 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 the oppression of states outdoes the oppression of, of individuals hundreds of thousands of times over. I and mean, we're not even talking about the effect of poverty in, under global capitalism, which kills people. We're not even talking about the arms sales, which kill people, yeah? If you want to include those things, the numbers go up and up and up in terms of how many, how bloody these systems are. So yeah, the ordinary people, I think we need to just explain to them maybe what is the reality of the world. And actually, even where these things do end up happening from Muslims, I would say there is an element of this which comes from the fact that Islam has no authority. Islam has no leadership. Islam is in a dysfunctional situation. The Islamic world is in a dysfunctional situation before because Islam as an order, as a as a system, doesn't exist. Jazakallah um, Inshallah, Brother Jafar Ali has a question. Um, I have asked our local Imam about the insult of our beloved Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. His response was to make dua and we can't do anything. What do you say on this? Yeah, so I, I'm not sure how uh, he, he, I mean, to make dua, what, what dua he expects us to make. Um, uh, it, it, this is, uh, with all sincerity, maybe your imam doesn't have a failure of vision. The, the first thing is, uh, if you see a munkar, uh, you change it with your hand. If you cannot, you change it with your tongue. If you cannot, you hate it in your heart. Okay, this is unquestionably one of the greatest munkarat that we could ever see. So uh, 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 it's not about making dua. The minimum thing is to hate it in your heart. But actually more than that, uh, you should actually use your tongue. Why? Because you don't want Muslims living in the heart of secular capitalism to start accepting the idea that people should be free to insult the Prophet Rather, you need to express what the Islamic view on this thing is and what a weighty issue is so that you teach your community what hukum is on these things. And that the third thing is that we should remind ourselves, like I said, it's not just, you know, the issue is about changing the munkar. Even this guy goes and kills a teacher, right? That hasn't changed the thing, has it? In, in the truth, the teacher showed this these images to a classroom. Now the French state is projecting them onto public buildings. This hasn't changed anything. What changes something is like when Sultan Abdul Hamid, may Allah have mercy on him, makes a statement to the French when they're doing a play that is there to insult the Prophet And he says, if you do that, there will be consequences on the, on a on an international level and then actually the issue would stop so like we say you know he should be saying the imam should be saying that the muslims should be accounting their and questioning and ex exposing their rulers 
for remaining silent on this and should be calling for the removal of those rulers in the Muslim world and to uh, actually have uh, uh, the Islamic ruling under Khilafah, which effectively deals with these things as they should be dealt with on the world stage. Uh, as you said, uh, uh, it's dealt with the Khilafah on the world stage. So Brother Habib uh, asks, how would you convince the people who believe Khilafah is the ultimate solution, but it's going to take time until it will be implemented? How would you deal with the problems the Ummah is going through until then? And those problems uh, are partially supported by the secular system, for example, medical and social benefits systems, uh, furlough, etc. Well, uh, to be frank with you, even those examples you've just given, they're not supported by the secular system. The secular system is what's made the job losses and the companies fail. Uh, and the furlough is a deviation from the secular system to try and prop it up. Uh, the secular system is one that inherently believes that people should be sorting out their own health care, or maybe some rich people should give to charities which should bail people out of health care. And the National Health Service only gets introduced when there is a crisis uh, where they feared the rise of socialism in the Soviet Union, and they implemented something to try and salvage something for themselves. So I think the way the brothers uh, characterize this is not actually quite right. Uh, the, the most important thing he says is, you know, what do you do when these problems require the Khilafah to solve them. What do you do in the meantime? Well, you work to re-establish the Khilafah. If, you know, somebody said to you, you need to uh, get on a train to get to work. What do you do if you don't, uh, you know, have a train come to your front door? You have to go to the station to get the train. Yeah, it's not like you start thinking to yourself, okay, I'm just going to wait here for the train to come to my front door and pick me up. It, the, the reality is, if these things require Khilafah from a Sharia perspective to be implemented, and that we are collectively negligent for the Khilafah not being there, and we collectively bear a share of the sin, then the only way you and I can relieve ourselves of that burden is to work for that and to make the effort for that. And that's what we should be doing. There's no shortcut around that. Um, Brother Ali Abdul has a comment. The rulers in the Islamic lands are subservient to their colonial masters. They have been homegrown to serve their masters, not Islam. This is the truth. That is the truth. They are, they are either directly appointed uh, from Washington, London, Paris, or they are a product of Washington, London, Paris, but emerging through an elite class that has been groomed generally to rule. And uh, so it's at times like these that we can see where they stand. And you know, even if some of them come out with some rhetoric in the next few weeks, think about what I've said. What needs to be done is that the munkar needs to be stopped. And the responsibility comes, you know, when Rasulullah Wasallam he said, uh, stop the, uh, if you can change a munkar, change it with your hand. He means if you have 
power or authority or capability, if you have capability to stop it by some means of capability, and how do you stop a state like France from wantonly doing these insults and allowing these insults? You have to have the capabilities that a state has. You have to have a political voice. You have to have a diplomatic plan. You have to have a, uh, a, a, a an economic uh, hold and, and things that you have to to challenge with. And you have to have a military that backs all of that up to mean that it has teeth, because really that's what it boils down to. Uh, so he's right. He's right. And until and, and unless we see the change of those systems, we are going to not be able to change this munkar. And all the munkarat that exist from secularism, the most you and I can do, brothers and sisters, at the moment, as we work for Hirafa, as we participate in this world work, is to expose the, the secularism for what it is and try and show people as much as we can individuals and communities, and indeed uh, in the Muslim world as whole societies, show them what the secular system actually is and how Islam contrasts with that. Because there is even at this time an ideological challenge that is going on, and we need to be part of that. Uh, interesting question from Brother Isan Batan. As as secular system is so filthy and hollow from within, why do most of the Muslim countries, uh, in, uh, or why are most of the Muslim countries inclined towards becoming secular? And why is it that the majority of Muslims want to migrate to the West and live under secular systems? It's a, it's a, it's a good question in terms of reality. Generally, Muslims don't migrate to the West to, for secularism. They migrate to the West for jobs, for money, for material reasons. If the material reasons lay somewhere else, they would go somewhere else. And in fact, very often they do nowadays, don't they? They migrate to the Gulf states, some migrate to the Far East for jobs, some, you know, so the, the issue is not about migrating to the West because they're ideologically secular. But why are the Muslim countries implementing secularism? Because it's forced on them, right? Secularism isn't a thought and a deen and a way of life that has uh, been adopted in Muslim countries by conviction. Uh, rather, a lot of the uh, wars that we've seen in the last 20 years and the backing of brutal tyrants and oppressive rulers in the Muslim world is because if you didn't have those, those uh, backing in place and those military interventions, the, the fear is that you will lose the Muslim world completely from any kind of grip and control of secularism to the right the revival of Islam. Uh, I want to just say one thing. You know, uh, uh, secularism is a terrible system. It oppresses people. It causes huge problems. Um, but people in the West, they they believe in it because of their own peculiar Western experience. They had a terrible experience under the hegemony of the Catholic Church for centuries. Like I said, if they questioned the doctrine that was given by the church, they would be up before the Inquisition, they would be tortured, or they would be executed as heretics. So uh, the, the struggle that came about 
uh, in Europe, which was a very particular European thing, is something that they always refer back to and they feel for. And, and I'll tell you this, the issue is that people, people now, more and more people now living in the West are really, really like confused because they sense the system does not look after them, does not put food on everyone's plate, does not treat everyone fairly and equally, does not create harmony in society, but division. It creates a lot of lonely individuals instead of a collective cohesive society. And more and more people see that. Yet they don't have an alternative. So actually part of our, what we should be doing, those of us who live in the West, is actually explaining what Islam offers as an alternative to this, to those people who are increasingly questioning the issue. Um, inshallah, the next question is from uh, Brother Frederick Jonathan. He asks, how strange that Muslims are accused of being emotional and irrational when you see very little substance when arguing why freedom should be upheld at all costs. There seems to be a blind adherence to their principles with no rationale. I, I agree, brother. It's, 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 it's actually, it really does, it's like, it's quite striking as to how they like talk about freedom of speech and freedom of expression and pluralism on one hand, while on the other hand, they're literally clamping down on the freedom of Muslims to speak, think, express themselves in so many ways. And with a propaganda about Islamist separatism or Islamism or terrorism or extremism and all these words, it, it, it's, it's a very shallow, uh, hypocritical double standard, which I wish more people would see. Um, next question is from Brother Rizwan Abu Maryam. Uh, he says, some people say that we shouldn't speak up as it will only cause more problems. And besides, the position of the Prophet will not be uh, belittled, even if all of the people of the world stood against him. However, I think the question is not that of his position, but how speaking up is about our position in the Akhirah. Uh, our position in the Akhirah uh, uh, and our position in terms of uh, standing firm as a community that we don't allow these values to corrupt us. Uh, I, I see us speaking up as being like when the Anbiya alayhimu salam, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us in the Quran, when they used to see these terrible things happening, the worship of false gods, the worship of idols, the corrupt practices, their, their, their response used to be, I'm, I'm free of this, of what these people are doing. It's a declaration before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, I'm free of this. I may be living here in Britain, I may be living here in the West, in Europe, where these things happen. Ya Allah, I'm free of that. I disassociate myself with that. I uphold the honor and sanctity of the best of creation, Rasulullah and I work myself to try and work for the revival of Islam and the uh, implementation of Islam as a complete way of life with the restoration of the Khilafah, which can actually deal with these things in terms of preventing them wholeheartedly. Uh, 
Um, the next question is from uh, Brother Abu Idris. Um, can you briefly tell us how the Malay system will be implemented under the Khilafah for the Vinni? Which system, sorry? The Millet. M-I-L-L-E-T. Millet. Okay. Sorry. Millet. Yeah, sorry. Sorry. I think you, that, you know, it's the French pronunciation of the word. That's right. <laughs> 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 uh, um, so the thing about the I mean the, the millet system is is just I think it's just one one way which was the um uh in 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 the in the khilaf in the Uthmani khilaf I think where they used to basically uh, uh have a, a record of how who of the citizenship and that can be done any any way really. That the main the main thing is that citizens themselves have to uh, pay the revenues that they're obliged to. Uh, and in Islam, actually, the the revenues are not that many compared to the West. We don't have income tax. We don't have VAT. We don't have death duties. We don't have these kinds of things. Rather, for the Muslims, there is an obligation to pay a zakat and which is a kind of zakat and kharaj if necessary um, and uh, for the non-muslims there is a small tax levied on males who are capable of paying because they have sufficient wealth uh, and it's it's really a it's really a token tax it's more like a more like a thing that is uh, part of the agreement with the uh, the state that you are a citizen, you are looked after, you get food, clothing, shelter, you're protected, your right to worship is protected. Um, and your side of the deal is a very small token uh, poll tax, actually, for those who can afford it. And if you can't afford it, it's not even obliged on you. Uh, the reality of the, the jizya that uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala mentions in the Quran and the example of the time of the Prophet and the Khulafa Rashidin. Jazakallah. Um, if I may ask a question, or um, you mentioned uh, during your talk about this uh, whole issue of secularism not being uh, able to defend itself or uh, willing to have uh, a criticism or discussion or debate. And um, uh, so some time ago, the the government in the Netherlands uh, put through a bill um, banning anti-democratic organizations um, and this seems to be the uh, routine throughout the world at the moment that uh, uh, for example in uh, America if you were um, boycotting uh, the Zionist entities um, goods um, you were not allowed to, to be, uh, be a civil servant or be a teacher etc and it's going as far as uh, dictating to people uh, through their uh, contracts of employment uh, what they can and can't believe in. Um, so isn't this a sign that uh, secularism is actually on the run? Yeah, and, and in fact, you know, this five points that Macron made, listen to this. And finally, this is the fifth axis on which I want to emphasize. If the Republic must be feared by applying its rules without weakness, 
and restoring force to the law, if it is necessary to reconquer the essential axes that I have mentioned, we must, meaning schools and like clamping down on organizations, we must almost so make it loved again by showing that it can allow everyone to build their life. I mean, what utter nonsense. He's basically acknowledging that if we do this, the Republic will be hated. And he's hoping that if we give people the opportunity to build their life, meaning economically, materially, uh, then uh, the Republic will be loved again. I mean, this is just crazy nonsense. It's just rhetoric. Yeah, there's no, there's no, there's nothing in their society uh, that 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 is going to be helped by this. If they think, frankly, as far as I can see, this guy is killing off his way of life in, in a in a much more effective way than any any enemy of this way of life could ever hope to do. Frankly. Yeah. It's as simple as that. Yeah. Uh, we have a, a question. Changing the Munka in today's world is potentially easier if there was a political will. How long would France be belligerent if the Maghreb Europe pipeline from Algeria into Spain, Portugal and France was turned off? Yeah, it's not just potentially easier, brother. It's, it's, it's what I think... I'll change your words from the excellent point you've made, which is uh, it's actually can only happen when there's a political will. It can only happen when there's a political will to use the muscle and might that actually does exist in the Muslim world today. It's just they don't. The rulers don't and they won't. Uh, on that point, I mean, uh, uh, you've uh, discussed uh, during your talk the issue that we need to work to re-establish the political entity that we refer to in Islam as a Khilafah. Um, and uh, various questions are purported to the fact that uh, what do we do in the meantime, etc. But uh, yeah. what, uh, what, what is it that uh, the brothers and sisters can do at the moment in terms of uh, helping uh, with the work to re-establish the Khilafah? What, uh, practically, should they be involved in, and, um, in terms of hastening the return of this Khilafah? Uh, the Khilafah will really be effective in the Muslim world, right? So within the Muslim world, that is the way. So we should be supporting that work that is happening in the Muslim world, number one. Number two, the work to reestablish the Khilafah can only happen by the by group effort. It can't happen as individuals just talking. It can only happen by group effort. So Muslims should be part of that group effort. We, with the Tahrir, we are a group that dedicated ourselves to that. And the work to reestablish the Khilafah can only succeed if it is done according to the Sharia method, the prophetic method, which is by political and intellectual work to try and change the system. And that requires two things, primarily. One is convincing people in the Muslim world what it actually means to be ruling Islam and what the Islamic system is, so that they are generally supportive of it. And two is convincing the power brokers in any society, the ones who uphold the false systems at the moment, not the rulers who are the false systems, who are the agents and operatives of the false systems, rather the power brokers that uphold the false systems, 
that they should stop backing those false systems and they should invest their power broking in the reestablishment of Khilafah. That is the base that can be detailed in the prophetic method, but every Muslim should be doing that. And I know there are a lot of questions where people will ask, what should I be doing in the meantime? What should I be doing in the meantime? In the meantime, you should be working for it. Literally, it's like, you know, uh, you know, if you go and see a doctor, the doctor gives you a medicine for your chest infection and you say, okay, what should I do in the meantime while I'm like uh, not taking the medicine? Take the medicine. That's what you're supposed to do, not ask me. Inshallah, we uh, talked in, uh, during your talk, you're talking about uh, accountability. And uh, the Western world has always uh, pushed uh, the emphasis that uh, uh, to have accountability and to have uh, uh, fair ruling or to have uh, a ruling um, that's actually accountable by the people, you need to have uh, this idea of secularism and freedom of speech and democracy, etc. Uh, but is, is that necessarily uh, true? Because uh, you mentioned through a number of times in your talk that uh, uh, the Islamic system, in which there's unitary leadership, i.e. there's no uh, concept of a opposition party as such. Uh, but there you mentioned in your talk there is a, a large element of that accountability. Yeah. So the 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 So accountability. Every system will say that it. it, it I mean. Uh, it can have accountability, but the thing about the in the West, the the is that they claim they it's almost like they claim they have a monopoly on accountability. Um, it's accountability can only happen through a democratic system, whereas in reality, the accountability Islam obliges accountability. It's not an option for us. It's an obligation. It's part of enjoining maruf and forbidding munkar, and it's an obligation which falls on the individual. So in the time of Sayyidina Umar radiallahu an, we know famously when he, one of the best Muslims of the whole of uh, history of humanity, the best people of the whole of the history of humanity after the Anbiya alayhim salam Sayyidina Umar is standing in the masjid and he's, uh, he's speaking and on occasions the ordinary Muslim, man or woman, will account him. And then there is the accountability of the whether those ordinary Muslims are considered to be ulama or considered to be armed people, or whether those ordinary Muslims as individuals, or whether there's a group, because Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, You know, let there arise from amongst you a group or groups that call to khayr. That, you know, they, you, they join Maruf, they forbid Munkar, and they are the ones who are successful. So groups of people, political parties, should uh, actually be there to account. And more than that, actually, we believe that the Ummah in, should have a formal way of channeling their accounting, and that should be through an elective assembly which which you could call the Majlis al-Ummah, Majlis al-Shura, but part of its role should be to be accounting, not just to be advised. Not just to be advising, sorry. Uh, Brother Jason Smith has a question, I think it's... Uh, 
there's extreme arrogance, uh, white supremacy and racism within the civilian population in the West. Islam is considered to be a foreign religion. Therefore, isn't there going to be resistance against Islam by the common people? How will the Khilafah overcome this level of racism and potential resistance from the public in the West? So I think I think the brother is right that actually the propaganda which we see against Islam today will get uh, much worse when the Khilafah is actually established. And that isn't new. If you look at the issue of um, the establishment of the um, Khilafah in the in the past, under, under the established Khilafah in the past, the Uthmani Khilafah a century ago, Look at some of the propaganda that was done in the West against the Ottoman Khulafa, whether it was stories talking about the way they had they lived their lives with women, whether it's stories like in, in, talking about them in their, in their personal lives, or whether it's the way that they're, they're, they're portrayed as being oppressive or, or, or vicious rulers, caricatures and cartoons which are very insulting towards them. It was pretty bad in the past, so much so that the few people who became Muslims in the West at that time, in the time of the Uthmani Khilafah, were, 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 faced a lot of hardship here. So I think the brother is right that, that it's actually, you will face propaganda and it will be very harsh. It will be more harsh for Muslims. For Islam, the propaganda against Islam will be worse when the Khilafah is established, definitely. Um, so. Uh, how will the Khilafah deal with that? Well, you know, in origin, the Khalifa isn't obliged to look after the people that are not living within the Khilafah. But certainly, I would imagine a future Khalifa would uh, raise these issues, whether it's the Muslims in East Turkestan or whether it's the Muslims living in the West who face oppression. These become issues that get raised on the world stage and show how different systems treat different citizens, basically. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of today's session. Um, brothers and sisters, for your questions and your comments. And uh, to you, Dr. Abdul Wahid, um, um, uh, going through some of these challenging points and explaining our direction as an ummah. And it's a very apt that you're in the backdrop of Aya Sophia there. Um, as we saw very recently, the uh, issue of the Aya Sophia was uh, seem to be the heart of the secularists that uh, they didn't concern themselves uh, for the last hundred years about it. Um, but uh, inshallah, is there any uh, last points you wanted to make at all? Or? Just I would say, brothers and sisters, there's uh, I, I'm sure you're aware there's a conference coming in uh, just over a week's time, uh, which is talk titled The Return of the Islamic World Order. And I would urge you all, if you haven't registered, register and tell as many people as you can about it. Even within the context of what's going on in France today, it's an important thing that people come and hear about the alternative that exists in the world. And the international conference, which Dr. Abu Wahid has just mentioned, uh, is the return of the Islamic world order on Saturday, 31st of October at 2 p.m. Uh, inshallah, there'll be a link on the Friday Circle uh, Facebook site uh, for brothers and sisters to register and uh, please do send out the uh, flyer for that international conference uh, this is for e everybody throughout the world it will be an online conference uh, for brothers and sisters 
uh, please do uh, share that so that we can take this call wider and hasten the return of the Khilafah, inshallah. And um, we'll finish off Surah As. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Wal As, inna l-insana al-Rafi khus, inna al-Wazina amanu, amanu al-Salihati, wa tawasso bil-Haqqi, wa tawasso bil-Sabi. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. As-salamu Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Sira, and much more. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, and Sira are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.